Hey, good morning. If you're new, I'd also like to welcome you. I'm Charlie, uh, the lead pastor here, and we are fish- finishing up a series in the book of Esther. And this morning, I have, I have this routine. I, mean, I have lots of routines, but on, on Sunday mornings, um, there's McDonald's down here. I'll go sit there for about an hour and a half or so before I'll come down here and just kind of think through the message. And, you know, I guess I've unintentionally made some friends doing that, you know, just have these routines or whatever, because there's a handful of other uh, people that are there every every Sunday morning too, and they're all dressed up ready for church. And apparently, like if you're like having breakfast before church, you kind of have to acknowledge each other if you're both church people. It's a little bit like 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 like, um, um, like motorcycle people, right? So two motorcycle people drive. You ever seen it? They kind of they kind of do this. They kind of do this deal right here, right? I, I've got a motorcycle. Hey, I also am having a motorcycle, right? And and then I, on the on boats too. You're going out on the lake. You're, you're driving by on your boat, and you're like. <laughs> I've got a boat, and like, hey, I also have a boat, right? And so here it's like, hey, look, I'm dressed for church. How are you? Like, I, I'm also dressed for church. How are you? So, anyways, it, and it used to be just kind of, you know, just kind of that. But then eventually, um, I guess they knew or figured out that I was also a pastor. And so recently, a few months ago, they started asking, um, like, hey, what are you preaching on today? And um, it's an older couple, probably my parents' age, and. Um, Last month, they said, hey, so what are you, what are you speaking on? And I, I was just like, relationships. And I, I did not say Song of Solomon. I just, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to break them or whatever. I didn't know what would happen. And, and, and so, but so today, they were asking, so how did the, how did the series on relationships go? Like, good. Like, what are you, what are you all in now? I'm like, okay. And um, I was like, and I said, we're doing a series in Esther, finishing that up today. And he kind of got this look on his face. And he's like, that's bold. And um, it was really interesting because, you know, he said it and then, his, and then his, and his wife agreed. There's like, that is a bold story to tell on Sunday morning. And it was just really interesting to hear him say that, that he obviously, uh, uh, knowing the Bible pretty well, apparently recognizes that this, it's a bit of a dangerous story. I don't know if that's the right word. It's scary, inappropriate dark, ugly. I mean, there's just a lot of different things about this story that don't make it uh, fit kind of the traditional Bible story. And so, you know, you wish me luck, and it was, it was really cool. And, and um, the thing that I really, I, I really like about this story is, is that, it's, is that it's, 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 it's ugly. I mean, it's like is this, this, this awful thing happens to this awesome, courageous young woman and in, and in the midst of the worst of it, she demonstrates this incredible courage and strength and essentially saves herself, her family, and the entire Jewish nation. And it wasn't, it wasn't a story of, of awesome things coming from good. It was, it, was, it was beauty from ashes. I mean, it was just a terrible story. And um, to kind of recap, to kind of make sure we're kind of closing it out here today, so... So it starts with this King Xerxes, who is uh, really a, just an insane tyrant. And he banishes his queen for just, just terrible reasons. And, and in order to get a new queen, rather than picking any number of people, probably hundreds from his current, <coughs> his current harem, gathers up all the virgins, uh, the, the prettiest of the virgins in his entire kingdom, and they have to do one-night sexual auditions for him. And this young, awesome, strong woman, Esther, gets caught up in that. 
And rather than becoming just a, a victim, she, she, she shows a lot of cleverness and strength and courage and makes the best of a terrible situation and ends up becoming the queen. And in the process of that, um, her cousin makes an enemy with the person who's the right-hand man of the, of the king. And ultimately, this guy Haman uh, wants to wipe out all of the Jews because of his beef with Mordecai, Esther's cousin. And so now the entire Jewish population is going to get wiped out by this decree that this bad guy Haman has talked the king into. And, and Mordecai believes that their only hope is for Esther to somehow save the people in some way, which she's scared to death to do. He's like, you can't just approach this king. He's, he's crazy. You can't just go in there unannounced because he will, he, 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 who knows what he would do. You know what he did to the last queen. This is, this is a scary situation. How am I supposed to do this? And, and, you know, Mordecai uh, encourages her, and ultimately she has the strength and courage to do something that must have been incredibly hard. It could have cost her her life, but she ultimately has the courage and then ultimately puts together this incredible, very savvy plan together to manipulate him and Haman at just the right time and just the right way to, to, to talk about what's happened, and the, there's this plan to wipe out our entire people and don't do it, and and she gains the king's favor, and ultimately this guy Haman, who was going to kill Mordecai and all the Jews, he ends up being impaled, and the, it would seem that the plan is foiled. <coughs> but we'll discover here, starting in Esther chapter 8, that even though it seems like that this plan, like, like, like it should all be good news in the end now, there's some more still that has to be done. And in the process of kind of wrapping up the story here today, we're going to cover what I believe are kind of some really significant major themes that I want to make sure that we've gotten from this whole time studying the book of Esther. So in Esther chapter 8, starting in verse 1. That same day, King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came into the presence of the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. The king took off his signet ring, which he had reclaimed from Haman, and presented it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed him over Haman's estate. Esther again pleaded with the king, falling at his feet and weeping. She begged him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman the Agagite, which he had devised against the Jews. Then the king extended the gold scepter to Esther, and she arose and stood before him. If it pleases the king, she said, and if he regards me with favor and thinks it the right thing to do, and if he is pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, devised and wrote to destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces. For how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? King Xerxes replied to Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, because Haman attacked the Jews, I have given his estate to Esther, and they have impaled him on the pole he set up. Now write another decree in the king's name on behalf of the Jews as seems best to you and seal it with the, key, with the king's signet ring. For no document written in the king's name and sealed with his ring can be revoked. So ultimately what happens here, you know, he, he takes the ring, kind of the signifying right, the, the, the right-hand man to the king, takes it off of Haman and gives it to Mordecai and kind of elevates him to this position, takes his entire estate, gives it to Esther, which she then gives to Mordecai, and it seems like everything is going great for them, but then it's like, hey, this is not enough. I mean, we're fine now, and, and, the, and our enemy has been defeated, but there is still this edict out there that, that the entire Jewish population is going to get wiped out. You've got to do something about this king. 
And then something happens here, which it, it, sound, it's, it's, it just sounds ridiculous based on everything that we know about how governments work and even to the way that we would imagine that kings work, that something ridiculous happens here. It's like he can't just, he just won't just repeal the law because, like, well, you can't. You can't. Anytime a law has been passed and the king seals it with his ring, it can't be repealed. And I'm like, what does it mean to be king then? Like you can just, you can, you can just with your ring say, kill all the Jews, but you can't undo that? Like, like, it doesn't really make sense, but it's not the only time this happens. It happens in a story that some of you may be familiar with, Daniel and the lion's den, where this, there, there's a plot to get uh, just Daniel in particular because the king likes him too much and they want to take him out and he prays to God, we'll just get him that way. And so they, make this, they trick the king into making this law that anybody who prays to somebody other than the king has to be thrown in the lion's den. And then when the king finds out, you know, that, oh, I've been tricked into arresting and... Uh, Daniel, he can't just be like, well, I'm the king, so we're not going to do that. He's like, I can't do anything about it because I did it with the ring. So it's ridiculous. But that's the situation. And so basically Xerxes looks at Esther and Haman and says, hey, just write another law. And the law that they end up coming up with is essentially the arming of the Jews. And so they are given like an overwhelming amount of weapons. So when the day comes that the Jews were supposed to be wiped out, they'll be able to defend themselves, which I guess is a solution, but it, again, it just, it just seems odd. But again, there's a lot of odd in this story, and I don't want us to get caught up in all of the odd, because honestly, the strangest thing about this story, again, there's, you know, there, there's the awful stuff that happens to Esther, and there's the incredible courage that she shows. There's something else that's just incredibly odd about this story is it is the only book cover to cover throughout the entire Bible where, where God's name's not mentioned. Not just his name, just nothing about him. God, God's not in this book at all. There's no moment in which we say, and Esther prayed that God would be with her, and Mordecai told her, don't you know that God will be with you? I mean, there's none of those moments. Every other Bible story has that moment where God is a main character in the story, if not the main character in the story. He's not only not a main character in the story, he's not a minor character in the story, he's, he's not even mentioned. Everything about this story is what the people are doing without God being mentioned at all. Now obviously, what we believe, what we understand, and I think is just clear in the fingerprints of the story, is that God is all over this. He's definitely engaged, he's definitely loving, he's directing and making certain things happen for Esther. He's definitely there. But he's not written in there. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. Mark did, like all the reasons why this particular book by, the, by Mordecai is probably written by him, why he wouldn't have written God into the story. But what is also very interesting to me is why God would allow a book that he's not in to be included. Like the, the I mean, the book, it's, it's about him and about how we can relate to him and get back to him and walk in, in life with him. And he allowed this one book in there that if all you read was this book, you would be under the impression that the only way that you are going to be able to succeed, the only way that you're going to have victory over whatever it is you need victory uh, for, the only way that you're going to be able to do that is if you do it. Cover to cover all throughout the scripture. Hey, if you'll just trust God, God will make it happen. Trust God, trust God, trust God. Trust God and do your best. Trust God and be good, trust God. In this one book, you are going to have to do this. 
you're going to have to make a difference. If you want victory, if you want life, if you want to overcome injustice, you're going to have to do it. And so, without discounting all of everything else in Scripture, we need to make sure that we understand this point that he's trying to make. And and we'll we'll just say it this way. Again, you need to know, of course, that God is with you. God is absolutely with you in whatever it is that you need to do, in whatever fear you need to overcome, whatever sin you need to put aside, whatever next awesome thing He's calling you to do. God is with you. And you have some things to do. Too often we have, I think Christians typically have talked about these two principles as if they're in competition with each other. Well, if you can't rely on yourself, you need to only rely on God. Or it's like, it's like well, I mean, God, He's just going to be up there. I mean, He's God doing God things, but it's up to you totally. That, that's not the theme here. And these things do not contradict each other. They're not opposed to each other. There's an and here. But again, I think the point that, that God is trying to drive home here you see injustice? You, you, you see an issue? You see a problem? You have a problem? You need to do something about it. The Bible's full of, of the trust God lessons, and I don't want to minimize that. I'm not minimizing that. Cover to cover. The Bible is full of that, and I 100% believe it. But for a moment, I think we've got to reclaim some things and say, there's some action steps that you have to take if you want to see victory in your life. And I know what you're thinking, at least some of you. Like, man, that's just easy to say, but you don't understand the situation that I'm in. You don't understand how hard it's been for me. You don't understand how difficult it is. You don't understand the the, the deck of cards that I've been dealt. You don't understand how I was raised, who I was born to be, the the way that I get treated at work these awful things that have happened to me in my past, and essentially they have immobilized me where I cannot do whatever it is you're about to say next, whatever your particular application is, preacher boy, for i got to take control of my own life. I can't do it because of all the things. Which is why this is the best story for God to have told to make you think otherwise. Because again... Esther was gathered up in a sweep of the most beautiful virgins in the kingdom without any regard for her own independence or integrity is sent in to these one-night auditions with the king. And then by no fault of her own, her entire race of people is about to be destroyed. Genocide is now the law of the land. And she had no place in that at all and she recognized this is why I am here I have something that I have to do to right this wrong and no matter what it is no matter what hurt it is that you're trying to overcome whatever obstacles that you think that you have that are keeping you I want you to take courage from this one of the most courageous people that you will ever read about Queen Esther And so then the question is, and again, even in my time at McDonald's this morning, I'm just kind of wrestling with this. Like, you say all that, and it's like, okay, well, well, what then? What are are the kinds of things I'm supposed to be doing? And like, in a room with 100 people in it, there are 100 things that that need to be your applications from. I can't can't talk about all 100. Okay, so we'll just do 70. I'm just going to give you 70 potential 
applicant. No, we won't do that. Okay, so because here's the thing. You come, in, you come into the church. Right there in the lobby, right there on the wall, it says, this is what we're about. We want to reach people, and there's two parts, to become fully devoted, world-changing followers of Christ. We're going to talk about both of those. But I want you to hear me say this, that all of you are, or at least should be, on a path to becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And I ask you, what is the thing that is keeping you from that full devotion? Well, for some of you, it's just you never really started the journey. You've been coming here to church. Maybe this is your first week. Maybe it's your fourth or fifth week. Maybe you've been coming for a while, and you come here because you get little, you get, you get little life encouragements. You know, you need to be better in this way. You can be better. The music's inspiring. The, 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 the sermon is motivating. I like the people. But you would not be able to actually say that you have begun your journey with a relationship with Jesus Christ. I've not fully understood what it means to give my life to Him. I've not recognized that my big core problem is sin, and I need forgiveness from that sin that only comes by believing in Jesus Christ and that His death on the cross was payment for what you've done. Maybe you're just kind of stuck in, I want to be spiritual, I want to be better, but you have not really begun the journey that says, my life, God, is fully yours, and I need your forgiveness through Jesus. And there's something that's holding you back from that. And that is the step that you need to take. We'll spend some time talking about steps 2, 3, 4, and 5, but I don't want you to... You're going to continually to be frustrated if you're trying to take step 2 and 3 and you've never taken step 1 which is to give your life fully to God and believe in the gospel of Jesus. So that's for some of you. Some of you, there's, it's, it's a sin issue. You have a sin, you have an addiction, you have something that is going on in your life that you have decided is impossible to overcome. I will never be able to overcome this thing. I will never be able to have victory in this. And so you have settled into it like a bad limp. You've settled into it like a disease for which there is no medicine. And you have decided that this is just the way things are for reasons. And that sin is destroying you. And it is infecting your relationships. And again, it, 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 in every aspect of your life, because you, you do not believe that God is with you and that there is something that you can do about it. But that sin can be overcome. You can have life. For some of you, it's just simple, basic steps of growth. I need to be reading the Bible more. I need to get into a small group. I need to study. I need to learn. I need to grow. I need to take good steps of personal growth. I'm stuck because I'm standing still, not because there's anything between me and growth. I'm just not taking the steps. And there are steps available in our churches, steps that you can do in your own life to say, I'm going to make a commitment to grow. And for some of you, it's a, it's a ministry step. I have been living, my spiritual life has been selfish up until this point. I have not thought about anything outside of myself. Whether it's something really cool and simple here, like loving on our kids or our teenagers here at our church, or it's loving on the people in your neighborhood where you work, where you go to school, engaging them about God, trying to get them to come to church with you, talking to them about your relationship with God. Maybe it's ministering to some disenfranchised group in this area, somebody who has been hurt or broken or devastated in some way, or maybe it has to do with somebody on the other side of the world that needs hope in life. But there, is some, there are a lot of you that that thing 
that, that's holding you back is, I know I'm supposed to start looking outside of myself, but for whatever reason, I just think that I can't. Because I do not believe that God is with me, or I, I, I discount the idea that there's something that I can do about it. And so in that thing that's holding you back, I ask you, which is it for you? Is it that you don't believe God is with you, or is it that you feel that you're powerless? And I'm just going to be honest with you. There's been a time in my life, or actually just times in my life, where I would have to answer to that question. My answer to that question would have to be both of those things. And I would love to tell you a story from 12 years ago. I'd love to tell you a story from 20 years ago. That would be safer and easier for me. But in fact, I will tell you a story from about 10 months ago where I had just gotten to a point in my own life, in my own mind, where I just began to believe that nothing that I was doing mattered, that everything that I was trying to do and everyone I was trying to be, I was just, I was just failing. I was just failing in every conceivable way. And I just began to think, like, it does not matter what I do. It just seems like God doesn't even really care anymore. And it, it, it doesn't seem like um, anything I do matters. And I'd gotten, this, I'd, I'd gotten stuck, and then I began to believe that there was, there's, no, there's nothing I can do, and there's no one that I can talk to. And um, when, you, when you get stuck like that, it's hard to get unstuck. And I did something that I'm not supposed to talk about because pastors don't do what I'm about to tell you. Uh, I made a decision I was going to go talk to a counselor. And I'm telling you, it was 20 minutes in. I mean, we're 20 minutes into this thing. And I, and I felt like everything about my life had just been reoriented. Basically, this is not what he said to me. It was what it felt like. He said to me, hey, bro, your brain's broken. You're thinking dumb things. Don't think dumb things. Think smart things. That's not what he said. He was real nice. He was really cool in a hundred different ways. But essentially, that was what I needed to hear. I needed to say, this is what I think. He's like, don't think that. That's wrong. Think this. And like, can, can, can you do that? He's like, well, you should. And, and then suddenly over these last 10 months, I mean, just, everything's better. Everything about my approach. I mean, I, but there was this moment in which I thought I was powerless. And not everybody here necessarily needs to go to counseling, but I'm telling you, if you've got yourself into this thinking where there's nothing that I can do, you're wrong about that. And there are significant steps you can take right now, and God will be with you. Another story is about from nine years ago, really more of a ministry story, and some of you are familiar with it, where we'd made this decision that um, we, were going to, we were going to adopt, that God wanted to add to our family through adoption. And um, it's a little bit overwhelming if the only thing that you really feel like God's wanting you to do is you're supposed to adopt. Because it's a little bit overwhelming. And I remember my wife expressing this. It was just like, there, there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of orphans all over the world that you could adopt. There's, you have to decide what country, what region you want to come from, what, what country. And then we, you pick a country, there's a whole bunch of different agencies. where You could do something domestic, you could do it this way, you could do it this way, you could do it this way. And it's like, you begin to think, like, How, I don't want to pick the wrong one. And it, and, it just, and it just feels completely and totally overwhelming. And then you're just like, it, it just, it's, it seems like it's too much. And when, and when taking a risk and like making a difference in the world, when it feels like it's too much, you just choose safe. And I remember this just really great moment. And um, what Heidi said, my wife, um, says, if somebody brought a baby to our door and said, hey, I need you to take care of this baby. 
She's like, I, I, would, I would totally do that. I would totally take care of a baby. The application point for this, we're not asking you to bring babies to our house. Okay? <laughs> don't, don't make the wrong application. But basically she says, like, if someone, if someone did, like, this baby has no one, will you take care of this baby? That I would do it. And she was like, and I guess what we need to do is take the steps necessary so that that then can happen to us. And so then we applied to be foster parents, and sure enough, nine months later, will you take care of this baby? And we got to celebrate her um, eighth birthday a couple of weeks ago, and um, it has just been an incredible, joyous thing. And God was with us. God was with us, but we had to go through the, the seven or eight month process of taking step by step to become and do the things we needed to do in order for this to happen. So again, there's something. There's something that God is pulling you to. There is, there is there's something that you're needing to overcome or something great God is calling you to do. And there's something that's keeping you back. Is it that you don't believe God is with you or that you feel you're powerless? We continue on in the story... <coughs> Chapter 8, verse 15. So they write up the law about giving the Jewish people all the arms they need to defend themselves. Verse 15. When Mordecai left the king's presence, he was wearing royal garments of blue and white, a large crown of gold, and a purple robe of fine linen. And the city of Susa held a joyous celebration. For the Jews it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honor. In every province and in every city to which the edict of the king came, there was joy and gladness among the Jews, with feasting and celebrating. And many people of other nationalities became Jews because and many people of other nationalities became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. And so we got this big ceremony now, and, and Mordecai comes out, the guy who was almost uh, uh, murdered and impaled on this giant pole that Haman had, and his whole family and nation was going to get wiped out. He He's now walking out, he's got this big, huge, awesome robe, and he's wearing this crown, and everybody is celebrating. And Mordecai, has, uh, I'm sure, has exceeded far more than he ever thought was possible, and he's just now walking around as essentially the number one representative of the king. And now Esther, again, has been highly esteemed even more as the queen, and now has this other estate, and all of these things have happened. And to finish out the story in chapter 9, is essentially in the chapter 9 is just a brief telling of the war the war aspect of it, where he's still on the day that the extermination of Jews was supposed to happen. Some of the Jews' enemies decided that they were going to try, try this anyway, but they had incredible victory, uh, the Jewish people did, and, and, it was just, and it's become then a celebration for the Jewish people. But here they are, Mordecai and Esther have had this incredible courage and done all of these things and have seen this overwhelming amount of blessing. We're now... They are as esteemed as one can be in this, particular, in this particular situation. And so they have been blessed. And again, the fingerprints of God are all over this. And so it's not just simply that they've earned this for themselves. They have, but we should also, again, continue to acknowledge the hand of God that is all over the story. And I want you to know and I want you to feel that God's blessing has been on them. But there's another principle here that you see in this passage, in this book... And all throughout Scripture is this, is that God does bless you, 
but he blesses you so that the whole world can be blessed. He did not bless Esther and, and Mordecai so that they could have more land. He did not bless them so Mordecai could walk around in a fancy robe and have a great crown. He blessed them so that the entire world can be blessed. And so you see that in them, and that there's like, we've, we've achieved this status, but what about our people? And they go, they make sure that their people are taken care of. And beyond that, here it says that other people were becoming Jews because of them. And what this is saying, it's not saying you can't just decide you're of a different race. You can't just decide, well, I know I was born here, but now I've decided I've been born here. This really is more of an identity. Like, man, God is with you guys in a way that we don't understand. You know, our people, we had a God, and these people had a God, but you, it seems like everybody else has got lowercase g gods at the capital G, real God is with you. We want to identify with you. And so not only were Mordecai and Esther rewarded for their courage, not only were the, the Jewish people blessed, but ultimately people found out who God was through this. And you need to understand, God is looking to bless you, but that is never where it ends. God is looking to bless you so that others will be blessed. It would have been significantly safer and easier for me to have gone to see a counselor, enjoyed that, had my kind of my thinking reoriented and walk away and be safe and not ever say the thing that you just, you just don't necessarily say out loud. But how am I not going to tell you if it has brought real healing and blessing to me? Why would I not tell you that? Because some of you need the same. God has overwhelmingly blessed our family with this awesome addition and, and, and has blessed us through adoption. And it has been great for us. And we want to share that blessing with you. And in the, and in the eight years since then, at least eight or nine different people have, have experienced the same thing here. And there's eight or nine more that need to. And we're, and we're going to make a difference. And in every way that God wants to bless you, He is wanting you to take that blessing and share it. That is His goal, cover to cover. Everything that He's ever done, every blessing He's ever given has had the purpose of seeing ultimately the whole world to be blessed. So do not doubt that God wants to bless you. He's with you. And if you will take the steps you need to, you'll experience that. And then, beyond that, get to experience Him using you to bless the world. So you got a couple of questions, really. What is the thing? What is the thing that God is saying that is your next step? What, 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 what bad thing do you need to overcome or what great thing do you need to do? And what is it that's holding you back? Is it I don't know or believe really that God is with me? Or have I come to believe falsely that the things that I do to take steps in the right direction will make a difference? A bit of both. But whatever it is, let's take some time and just ask God. God, what is it you want me to do? What is the thing you want me to overcome? Help me trust you and help me take the steps I need. It's perfect for our response time that we have at the end of every service. We're going to have some time to worship, of course. You can just pray during that time, kind of pour your heart out to God. As always, we have lots of different ways to respond in the back. 
Our prayer team would love to pray with you if you need some encouragement. There's some prayer candles where people, you can just come and pray and just kind of lift up a prayer uh, that way, the symbolism of that. There's um, praying at the cross. There's prayer cards back there for people who are already being world changers all over the world. As always, there's communion, which is an opportunity for you to remember and reflect on Jesus' death and sacrifice for you. Um, We have an opportunity to give. Lots of different ways to respond. But let's take these steps and let's trust that God is with us and that he wants to bless the whole world through us. Let's pray. God, I thank you. God, I thank you for all the people that are here. God, I thank you for the courage that it takes to get up on a Sunday and, and, and go to church. To admit that you don't have all the answers. To admit that you need help. To admit that we're dependent on you. God, I thank you that we all had that courage. And God, I pray that you would strengthen that courage. And help us make the right and the tough decisions that we need to. Whether it's to follow you for the first time. To be an overcomer when it comes to the sin and the hurt in our past and our present. Or God, whether it's not to take the things that you've given us and give it to a world that is desperate for them. God, give us that courage. Help us model just even a fraction of the character and courage of that awesome young woman, Esther. Thank you for her story. Thank you for telling it to us. And as always, thank you for your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.